Dr. Jaffe on fibromyalgia, immune function, and self-care, episode 88 on Alternative Health Tools podcast. And a side note, I would recommend that you go to alternativehealthtools.com and look at the show notes for this episode 88, as we've included links to everything that's been mentioned in the episode. This is episode 88 with Dr. Jaffe, and today we're talking about chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Within this, we're going to explore how Dr. Jaffe helps um, patients across the world and how we can help patients with, with these illnesses. So welcome, Dr. Jaffe. I'll introduce you in a second, but just to start, I'm your host, Lisa Victoria for Alternative Health Tools. And together we discover and share alternative health tools and resources for alternative healthcare practitioners and experts from around the world. So it's my pleasure now to welcome Dr. Jaffe. Thank you very much for joining us today. And just to start, can you just give us a brief overview on your background and and why you got into the line of work you got into? Well, sure. I came as a skeptic because I come out of academic medicine. I did internal medicine training at Boston University, where I received an MD and a PhD in biochemistry. I then matriculated to the public health service in the United States, where I was assigned to the National Institutes of Health, known as NIH, in Bethesda, Maryland. I was there for 19 years on the permanent senior staff at the end, and then made a life career change, um, which we can talk about, but it's personal, that led to me rethinking how to functionally and meaningfully and more predictively and more precisely measure human delayed immune responses. So we have an immune system. It's an immune defense and repair system. It's really important for defense and repair and also to eliminate cancer. And very often people inadvertently are eating or drinking or thinking or doing things that are causing their immune defense and repair system, their neurohormonal chemical system, their cellular vitality uh, to be reduced and making them hospitable to what we call illness or ill health, including fibromyalgia and not just chronic fatigue syndrome. Here we call it CFITS, chronic fatigue immune dysfunction syndrome, although not not so clear. Not everyone agrees on what immune dysfunction, but chronic fatigue is related to immune dysfunction. And my colleague, Steve Strauss, spent many, many years making that point and actually looking for some kind of an infectious agent, a virus of some kind, which they never found, by the way. Uh, But he did very good science and he did document that there's a difference, a very important difference. You can be tired, which means take a nap and get some rest. You can be fatigued, which means recharge yourself, you know, go out into nature and, and, and just amble around. But chronic fatigue, immune dysfunction syndrome, or chronic fatigue syndrome, and fibromyalgia, they literally take the quality out of your life. And fighting with the symptoms, notice my editorial, Focusing and treating the symptoms, which is what too often happens in, in most conventional medicine, at least, which is where I come from. Um, so I came as a skeptic. I'm now an advocate for a more personalized, functional, integrative, holistic approach. It's about what you eat and drink, think and do. And in the 21st century, we are marinating in a sea of anti-nutrients, of oxidative stresses of environmental stresses, of relationship stress. So the 21st century is very different than the 20th or the 19th. And I only bring that up front because some of what I'm going to say that is absolutely true today would have been maybe kind of sort of discussed in the 20th century and irrelevant in the 19th century for a variety of reasons. So let's talk Whichever you, in whatever direction you would like, I would like to explain in fair, somewhat by analogy, but, but explain clearly. I am not going to get lost in the weeds of technical jargon. 
If you want me to, I could. I really am a biochemist, and I love the language of biochemistry. Uh, but I have learned that uh, at least the part of what I understand that I do understand, I can explain it to anyone who will give me a few minutes to listen. And I'd love to listen and understand what you're going to explain to me, so please do. Oh, oh, sure. Okay. Now, if it's okay, let's start with the fibromyalgia, because there we have a published peer-reviewed study. In fact, the most successful outcome community-based study in fibromyalgia, published in the Journal of Musculoskeletal Pain. That's mm -hmm. where you want to publish about fibromyalgia. And the editor was nice enough to write an editorial saying, gosh, this is fresh thinking, and we really should pay attention to restoring tolerance in the immune defense and repair system by identifying certain foods, chemicals, medicines, environmental substances that rile up the immune system, that irritate the immune system, that burden the immune system. And when the immune system is burdened, it can defend you less well mm -hmm. and repair you, maybe not at all temporarily, and we want to reverse that. We want to restore digestive competence so that what you digest gets broken down into building blocks that are easily assimilated and eliminated without immune burden. And that so, without immune burden is the part that we have contributed to. 35 years ago, we started the first cell culture ex vivo test where an ounce of blood sent to us overnight with special preservatives and special preparation. But if it gets to us within a day, we have three days from the time the blood is drawn, to analyze it ex vivo, which is the reaction occurs in our laboratory, just as it happens in the human body. So that was a breakthrough. Then we showed how precise it was, less than 3% variance on consecutive, thousands and thousands of consecutive blind split samples, where two different people read the test, and we compare the results. And the variance was less than 3%. That's good for any test. That's particularly good for a cell culture where you're looking at live cells. You're the cells are talking to us in the laboratory, and we interpret that and provide a recommendation, interpretation, about what to substitute, but also what you might add. So you have a wide variety of healthier foods from healthier sources uh, prepared in a savory way, seeds and nuts and spices and so forth galore. Yes, it usually is a change bringing more wholeness, more nature and nurture into your kitchen and into your life. We recommend that. Um, once I made the transition to this myself, I promise I'm not going back. Mm -hmm. And just as an aside, I, I used to weigh 65 pounds heavier. I've mm -hmm. found ways to uh, carefully and healthfully lose the weight, and I'm not mm -hmm. going to find it again. So we go back to, gosh, when was this starting? Yes, we go back to 1987. I believe that's correct. And I get a call from Dr. Norman Schwartz, a, a colleague, because several of his chronic fatigue slash fibromyalgia or fibromyalgia slash chronic fatigue uh, clients, patients, uh, had done our tests and followed our program and really gotten gr greatly better. And one of them, a woman named Claire Musicant, called me up personally and said, why aren't all rheumatologists doing this? I said, well, they don't know about it yet. And mm -hmm. she said, well, what would it take for them to know about it? And I said, well, you need a consumer book, which I'm not going to write because I'm the scientist, but we have the ability to do a study, a really good quality study, an NIH quality study in the community, comparing people who have random changes in their diet and lifestyle with people who have specifically guided based on our tests and understandings. You know, they're the, the experimental group. And we could do this for just six months. However, we need to have all the details of a properly done study because if we're going to do this, I want to publish it in a high-quality peer-reviewed journal. If we succeed, we publish that. If we don't succeed, we publish that. It's Either way, it's, it's information that the community, medical and clinical community needs. So she goes ahead, we do the study, the results were so spectacular that she then wrote a book, it's called Fibromyalgia, My Journey to Wellness. Fibromyalgia, My Journey to Wellness by Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, Music Cant, M-U-S-I-C-K-A-N-T. And while you're writing that down, just a little anecdote, she has a nephew who 
who she likes and who likes her. And he is an up-and-coming rheumatologist in the Chicago area, and I get to the Chicago area regularly. And she came down from the Milwaukee area, where she was living at that time. And we had a half an hour together, and he was very polite. But at the end, because she's the aunt, she said, are you going to do what Dr. Jaffe said? He said, no. I can only do within my institution. Remember, he's not a sole Mm -hmm. practitioner. He's a specialist within a network, within an institution. He says, I must follow the standard of care or get permission to to vary from it. Mm -hmm. And it's a heavy lift to vary from the standard of care, especially about something that everybody doesn't yet know about. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that she looked at him with a very stern look. She didn't say anything. And when we got outside, she said, did you hear what he said? And I said, yes, I'm not surprised. Doctors used to be uh, autonomous doctors used to, I'm old enough to remember when doctors were sole practitioners, they signed their own checks. They um, very often had continuity with the person over many years, maybe even over generations. Today, most of that has been changed by managed care and other approaches. Today, most of the doctors who work inside the hospital or are specialists inside a network our employees, their practices were bought. The law had to get changed, but it did. And now most of the doctors are employees working within a system that has a standard of care that is probably as good as conventional care gets. But as someone who came as a skeptic, I can tell you there is lots of opportunity for a back-to-the-future approach to fibromyalgia getting to the causes. And we do know a couple of things about it. For example, there is a compound called substance P, like pain, substance mm-hmm. and it drips from the end of nerves onto muscles, and it is it causes pain, mm-hmm. but that kind of pain is not responsive to painkillers. You can make people dopey mm-hmm. with too much painkiller, yeah. but they're still in pain. Yeah. They don't care as much, but they're still okay. It's not working on the cure; it's working on treating not, the symptom. Not. Not and um, the the knowledge about these um, additional mechanisms of affliction and pain is relatively new. I mean, you know, 1980s rather than 1950s. So yes, we have the knowledge that when the immune system doesn't repair the nerve to muscle connection. The nerve sends out a signal that's really strong and gets the muscle's attention. And we call that a trigger point or a pain point. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Janet Travell, who was President John Kennedy's doctor, the one who taught me about trigger points, the diagnosis of fibromyalgia hadn't even been articulated when I was studying with Dr. Travell, but she had a textbook on this issue of intractable pain and what to do, including stay mobile. I don't know if you remember this, but in the Oval Office when President Kennedy was there, there was a rocking chair that he would sit in because his back tended to lock up. And if he rocked back and forth, it stayed open a little longer. So let's get back to the study. We do the study. The results are spectacular. We write it up. It gets published. And To this day, we've done 80,000 cases, not of fibromyalgia, but a total of 80,000 cases have come through our lab, 25 million cell cultures. We have reported at the uh, laboratory clinical pathology academic meetings that you would like to report good news or news. And Mm -hmm. from us, it was good news. And so we consider fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue immune dysfunction syndrome to be overlapping, to be chronic relapsing and remitting, which is sometimes people get a little relief and then they want to go out and live their life. Although sometimes they push a little too hard when they feel better and they mm-hmm. ace themselves and renew, uh, restore, uh, rehabilitate, get restorative sleep. Because very often with fibromyalgia, um, you don't get restorative sleep. Now we do recommend some simple self-care and if it's okay, I'll move to that because these are things that most everybody can do for just, you know, a pound of food, shall I say. Before we move to self-care, Dr. Jaffe, can I just pick up on something you said earlier? We're talking about more functional medicine now and yeah. how the times have moved on. Do you, 
in in your line of work and with the peers you work with now, are you seeing a shift in medicine to people being more open to functional medicine? I do. I do at the highest level. People like Dr. Donald Berwick, who ran Medicare or CMS for President Obama, his triple aim of better health, better care, lower costs, and lower risks. It's something we support. And he is, I would say, one of our brain trust, one of our network of colleagues who at the policy level is raising the issue of personalized, primary, predictive, proactive prevention protocols. And we are among those who provide them. That's massive leaps and bounds, isn't it, for the healthcare system? And certainly here in the UK, you know, we've got traditional medicine, but we're now looking more at functional medicine as well and looking on work, you know, treating the cure rather than just the symptom. And and, and that is kind of a, a growing curiosity, I guess, in the UK. And people are searching for answers on how to treat, you know, the actual cause, the root cause, rather than just taking, you know, symptomatic pain relief, if you like. Well, any of the members of the British Society of Environmental and Nutritional Medicine Mm -hmm. would be on this, quote, wavelength or this philosophy. Interesting. So there is a whole society within the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was founded by Stephen Davies, who has some very good books, as well as the BioLab in London. Mm Uh, and uh, and has been guiding that community, the community of holistic and integrative functional practitioners in the UK, for, for many years. That's, that's brilliant. And I interrupted you there, so we're, we're going to move oh, on now. So thank you for answering that question. No, no, if it's okay, let me now offer what I would call self-care mm-hmm. that, that the person can apply relatively easily, if I'm very specific about what to do and why, and then go by results. So let me start with how to reduce the stress of the day so that your sleep comes more easily, more deeply, and more restfully restorative. Here's what you do. You draw a tub of warm water Mm -hmm. and you add a half to one cup each of Epsom salt. That's mag sulfate for the chemist, Mm -hmm. but Epsom salt. Yeah. Baking soda, that's bicarbonate for the chemist. Yeah. So you do two things. You alkalinize and you add magnesium. Yeah. Then you get in the tub and you're going to stay in there for 20 minutes. And during the first five minutes, you just slowly and deeply breathe into your abdomen the way a baby breathes, basically moving your diaphragm, which does a lot of beneficial things. Um, so you have five minutes of what we call abdominal gentle breathing, followed by 15 minutes of active meditation. Now, for some people, this would be uh, inner space exploration, such as activemeditation.org by Dr. Robert Leichman, a colleague whom I have learned from and respect. Uh, activemeditation.org is that website. Mm-hmm. Or you could listen to classical music quietly for 15 minutes, or you could concentrate on a sound called a mantra or a sound. There are many ways of doing it. We suggest that people experiment and find where their preference is Mm -hmm. because the practice is the most important piece. I mean, I'm going to try and provide information, inspiration, motivation, but it's the perspiration. It's the individual's effort that will um, validate, I believe, or not, because it's not perfect, it's not for everyone. But now at the end of the 20 minutes, or even during that same half hour or 20 minutes, you could have a green dichromatic light. And it's part, this is now how you would find it, online or in an electrical store, or a theater supply store. It's PAR 38, P-A-R 38. R38, 150 watts. So it could get hot, and therefore you want a a photographer's ceramic base to put it in. Mm -hmm. This was really developed for pure color rendering in theater, 
but a Cambodian Buddhist monk named Banti Dharmawara, with whom I studied for about 30 years, uh, decoded a color healing system and gave it to the world, a non-invasive self-care color healing system that includes the use of green dichromatic light. There's much more to it, but the green is considered to be a neutral, um, harmonizing, beneficial color, uh, kind of like walking in the forest, which, by the way, in Japan is called forest bathing. Yeah. And we recommend that people walk. It's an excellent exercise. Sitting is the new smoking and sugar is the new tobacco. Yeah. So the salt and soda bath with the mindfulness practice and maybe the green light does two things. It helps you let go of whatever remnant of distress or affliction was in the day. And it sends a whole host of neurochemical signals that says, we're quieting down. Mm -hmm. It also turns out that because of the baking soda and the magnesium, certain pores open up on the skin, because your skin is more than a wrapper. It's actually the biggest organ in your body. Mm -hmm. The pores open on the skin, and toxic acid waste products can come out, and some magnesium can get in. And most people need more magnesium, yes. and most people have acid metabolites or toxic residue, toxic matter, uh, that it would be good to get rid of. So it's a win-win. Win-win-win, yes. Mm -hmm. We like that. Can no. I just, before we move on, can I just ask a question about the timing? So we said five minutes of, of the breathing and then 15 minutes of the meditation. What's the science behind the timings there? And is it important to stick to those timings? It is important and it's validated not just in many different traditional wisdom societies, because uh -huh. that's one of the things I went to debunk was other people's ideas of how the world works or what health is all about. And what I found was my ignorance and people who could mentor me. So yes, from the classical wisdom traditions, but more importantly, for the last roughly 30 years, there has been a group of monks and scientists attending to these issues called the Mind and Life Institute, the Mind and Life Institute, under the patronage of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And at the very first meeting, his Holiness said, there's a simple instruction. The monks will study science and the scientists will meditate. And it's been highly successful, highly successful. Um, I can tell you as a brief anecdote that when His Holiness was at MIT some years ago, and my daughter was a student there, they sat us next to his brother. And so my daughter whispers, why did they put us next to his brother? I said, well, they must know we need help. But I can tell you that His Holiness is a living example of non-attachment and complete engagement. He is fully engaged and absolutely non-attached. And I say that for a couple of passing reasons. One is he's my daughter's godfather. She has three and he's one. He let her actually live with him for three months between high school and college when we gave, gave her a gap year. Um, beyond that, my teacher, Bhante Dharmawara, the venerable Bhante Virabelong Dharmawara Mahatarasandashpriya, Wow. Most of those were titles that he earned. His name is in the middle of all that. Amazing. Uh, yes, but he was a Cambodian who had a global impact on a few people. The Sionuk family, the king of Cambodia, the royal family of Thailand, the Nehru family of India, the Gandhi family of India. He converted Ambedkar, whose birthday is, uh, is celebrated as a national holiday to this day in India, because Ambedkar was the one who did the mass conversion, bringing 20 to 30 million people back to Buddhism overnight. Mm -hmm. So Bunty showed up in Washington, D.C. for other reasons, completely other reasons. And I learned his color healing system over time. But more importantly, I, I would say at, at one point I was kind of his advanced person. I was the one who tried to help with logistics and make sure that he could concentrate on the healing work that he was doing. So that's where I learned about the green dichromatic light. It is commercially available online or through high-quality lighting stores. Uh, please do remember to get a photographer 
ceramic base because if you have it on for 20 minutes and then turn it off, it won't get that hot. But if you read the box, if you look at the instructions, it clearly says use a ceramic base. <laughs> now, uh, in today's LED world, the green bulbs are not the same. Pigmented bulbs, not the same. Only dichro, dichromatic. It's a special kind of coating that allows the green wavelengths to come through, but the blue and red or amber wavelengths get reflected back and absorbed into a black background. That's the technical reason why they're so special. And I'll just mention for the folks who like the details, in your eye, in your retina, there are seven levels of nerves, one of which goes directly to the pineal gland, has nothing to do with vision, but a lot to do with whether your brain, deep brain, the pineal gland, feels supported, the universe is a friendly place, or assaulted randomly, and therefore the universe is a capricious place. Mm -hmm. Now, I learned this from Jerry Letvin many years ago, and we have used it with, I think, great benefit in understanding the science that underpins the simple reality that more green in your life, and I mean green, green leaves, green plants, this green dichromatic bulb, um, can reset the, the, the deep biorhythms that drive your mind, your mood, uh, your ability to concentrate and learn. Now, the pineal is widely known. It's small but very important. But it, if the pituitary gland, if the pituitary gland is the master gland that sends out releasing factors to thyroid, adrenals, ovaries, testes, pancreas, and so forth, mm -hmm. the pineal is then the mistress of the master gland because the pineal, through an intermediary called the uh, hypothalamus, uh, the pineal gland tells the pituitary what releasing factors to release. So it's really important to keep a happy pituitary and a happy pineal. Uh -huh. And green, walking in the forest, preferably barefoot, gardening, using the green dichromatic light. And now, sorry, back to your most important question, timing. There are now over 500 studies that show there is something important about 20-minute intervals. For example, if you ever have traditional acupuncture with needles, the needles will be left in for 20 minutes. For example, if you go and receive a sound or mantra from many groups that uh, teach people how to be mindful and meditate and, you know, chill, shall I say, mm -hmm. 20 minutes, typical. 20 minutes twice a day, in what was written by the Gautama Buddha, the last Buddha 2,500 years ago, or at least he said, we don't really know. He didn't write. <laughs> he, he didn't have a press agent. He didn't leave a manuscript. But his students changed the world. Um, so there's lots of confirmation, including from the University of Berkeley, California, a fellow named uh, Krieger, Kruger, maybe Kruger, showed that this 20-minute cycle, known as the horary clock, for anyone who's familiar with traditional Chinese medicine, mm -hmm. which means that you have different organ systems and they have timing dominance during the day or night. Um, so there actually is quite a bit of evidence that 20 minutes is necessary and sufficient. Now, if you really like to sit in, in the moment, if you really like to sit in, and, and, and luxuriate in quiet inner space, where if thoughts come, you let them go. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything. Just when a thought comes, you say, okay, later, let, let it go. Go back to your breath as a refuge. Go back to your technique. Whatever, whatever um, appeals to you. Try if you settle in with something. And then practice. What we say here in the United States is if you want to get to Carnegie Hall, you have to practice. <laughs> So it's going to take more than one or two times to get into this, but the folks that over the years, and there are thousands now of colleagues who are using this in their practices, because I helped found a group that does certified clinical nutrition health coach certification, and more recently we have founded the PIH Academy for licensed health professionals and advanced health coaches, and we uh, last year certified the first group. 
This year will be the second year. And what we do, two hours a month, we have a live presentation and dialogue. That then gets recorded and slightly edited, and then with additional resources and links, gets put up and password protected for the participants in the certification program. And then there's a little quiz that reflects that you really have paid attention, uh, that that gets you uh, certified through Health Studies Collegium, but more importantly, gets you continuing education credits through your professional um, credential or society. Mm -hmm. Wow. Lots and lots of information there, and thank you for sharing. I just want to pick up on a, a couple of things. There's lots that I could pick up on. But going back to um, something you said earlier, you said about, you know, it's not just what we think, but what we eat, what we drink, and what we do. So I'm guessing, you know, taking the bath with the, the Epsom salts and the bicarbonate soda is working on the physical body as well as, as the mindset. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, helping us, you know, get into um, a sleep pattern so when when you assess patients i guess so you're taking some blood samples how how are you encompassing the whole eat drink um think and, and do how, how how's how are you assessing that yeah, let me walk you through that because um i train physicians who then have the one ounce of blood properly taken and shipped to our lab and I run the lab. And then with the help of my health coach trainers, we train both clients and professionals in the interpretation of the results. Interesting. So, so you start with, we are able to t- test for more substances than any other lab in the world because we purify all of our own antigens because I'm a protein biochemist and I have standards. Part of the precision comes from these added steps that we pioneered that allow us to achieve the results we do. So now you have the results. Out of, say, three to 400 substances that we were able to test on your one ounce of blood, you might react to 5, 10, or 15, not to 50. Now, this is functional information. This is information about your actual B cells reacting to antigen-presenting cells and your T cells that react without antibodies, but just as this happens in the body. And we start with, here are the things that we want you to substitute for three to six months from your diet. Mm -hmm. Then if you turn the page, you get the list of all the things that you are okay with. And then if you turn the page, you get detailed information about where you might get exposed to some of those antigens, some of those substances, some of those foods or chemicals or medicines, uh, and how to substitute. This is a window of opportunity to restore tolerance, digestive, immunologic, neurohormonal tolerance. It's a window of opportunity to restore tolerance. It's not deprivation. Mm -hmm. So this is functional. It's the next generation after serum tests. There are serum antibody tests that this leapfrogs because with serum antibody tests, you can't tell whether it's a helpful or a harmful antibody. And so you might have a long list of things that have memory in the immune system called antibodies, but that's not functional. It doesn't distinguish the bad from the good antibodies, the helpful from the harmful antibodies. That's why we developed and others have developed cell culture techniques where the cells actually react in response to the specific substance in question. So with that information, we then have you fill out a health appraisal questionnaire. One page, two-sided, takes about 15 minutes. And we score that because we validated it many years ago. And that helps us with the additional guidance about dietary supplements, which are priorities and which are optional. And then we go on to which are the physical activities. Could be swimming, could be could be stretching. And I'm going to say about stretching. In fact, maybe now's the time to mention that. In terms of the self-care, in addition to that bath, yes. when you first get into bed, stretch for five minutes. Just wow. stretch and relax and stretch. Five minutes. Now The first time you stretch for five minutes in bed, you'll realize five minutes is actually a while. But let me just finish the thought. 
in the morning when you get up, before you get out of bed, stretch for five minutes. And if you take a shower during the day, stretch in the shower. And if you like to, sing in the shower. It's your shower. So thinking about stretching in bed, I mean, I'm sure most people out there don't stretch in bed. They, they might stretch or do yoga or stretch before doing exercise. But stretching in bed might be a bit of an alien concept to some people. It certainly is a little bit to me. So what, what would that typically involve? Oh, oh yes. Uh, good question. Yes, we are big fans of stretching, whether you do hatha yoga with prana, which is breathing and stretching whether you do Tai Chi Chuan, which is breathing and stretching, uh, or you do Traeger Mentastics or Feldenkrais Technique or Anat Baniel, there are a number of systems that bring together movement of all parts of your body so that there's a stimulation to renew. Because mm-hmm. what you use, your body renews. And yes. what you don't use, atrophies. Nice. Yeah. And just as a footnote, and I think an important note, no part of you or me or anyone listening is more than 10 years old. Mm. And that's your bones. Now, large blood vessels and joints may be seven years. They, they renew every seven years. But much of you gets renewed on a monthly basis or on mm-hmm. a, a quarterly basis. Mm-hmm. And so the notion that age is about how long you have lived is an illusion and not correct. Mm -hmm. What is correct is that if you continue to take in enough of the good stuff, good nourishment, mind and body and spirit, and you continue to reduce the exposure to the toxic matter and your body's ability to detoxify it, not let it build up and harm you. I, for example, when I'm tested, by preference, I'm tested very comprehensively every six months, I'm currently functioning at about half my biological age. And my teacher, Bhante Damawara, who I mentioned, we tested him when he was 96 and 106. In both cases, he came out by almost all functional measures like a 40-year-old person. That's fascinating. We put the data in front of him. He looked at me and smiled, and he said, 40? That's a good age. That's an awesome result, isn't it? And I guess it promotes the lifestyle, doesn't it? And how how, what you do really works. Lifestyle and habits are really critical. Mm -hmm. If you eat and drink and think and move the way your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents did, then the future is likely to be an extension of the transgenerational transfer Mm -hmm. of habits, values, lifestyle. Mm But I can tell you from now vast experience, some of which we've contributed to, but many, many others, when you change your mind, when you change your habits, when you make your choices that are more intentional and healthful, you save your life and those around you. Mm -hmm. We recommend a makeover back to nature, nurture, and wholeness in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your personal care. You'd be surprised at how much toxic matter we get exposed to that we can avoid, about 80% as it turns out. And here are a few simple ways of making that real for people. Have outdoor clothes and indoor clothes. Not just change your shoes, but actually have outdoor clothes, take them off, and put on indoor clothes. Then inside, the air is always less good than outside. So either get fresh air in or get fresh air in. By that I mean... I have an old house where we get lots of fresh air. But if you have a super insulated building, get one of the air-to-air heat exchangers so that you can bring fresher air in. And then I would still recommend either a HEPA or OPA filter with an ionizer and a carbon filter, such as Bionair, which is generally available, but something that cleans the air or better yet, actually electrochemically eliminates the spores and the dander and the what have you, that does build up inside. It's called indoor pollution. Mm. So there are things we can do to dramatically reduce our exposure to the bad stuff. And I'll add one more quick one because this is just relatively recently confirmed and I think going to be a huge issue. You want lots of herbs and seeds and spices in your diet. Mm You must choose organic or biodynamic sources because the commercial sources are 
contaminated. And I am not here to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, but I will tell you that it's now proven and reproven that the commercial spices and herbs are likely to be contaminated. And you can avoid that by at least choosing organic, which is now more generally available if you look for it, or go to specialty ethnic markets and ask them what the old ladies or the the, uh, elders buy. In re- in regard to which which uh, type of uh, uh, spices or herbs, mm-hmm. or grow your own, I guess. Yeah, we want you to have lots of herbs and spices, but not ones that are contaminated. Yeah. Now, if you can get biodynamic, Rudolf Steiner biodynamic, by all means do. Now, our community supported agriculture CSA. So we subscribe in the spring or annually to a community supported agriculture, and ours happens to be biodynamic. If you have that choice. Make that choice. Fantastic top tips there. There's lots of them coming through today and, uh, yeah, really very, very educational. Just want to um, touch back on the sleeping tips. We talked about the bath and we talked about the stretching. So five minutes of stretching. So is that literally just stretching your body out as well as some of the breathing? Well, yeah, you breathe gently during that time. But, yes, if you can... You will bring your legs straight up so that mm-hmm. you're at a 90 degree angle. Yeah. You will then bring your right leg over your left leg, opening up your hips, trying to keep your back as flat on the bed as you can. You'll do the same kind of turn and stretch of each vertebrae all the way up. Then you'll bring your wing bones together. It's another kind of stretch. Then you'll stretch your neck slowly in each direction. Be nice to your neck. It carries a very heavy thing called it your head. Does. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, so five minutes of stretching, which to me roughly means um, 15 seconds on each of exercises that uh, you end up doing 20. Mm-hmm. So there are 20 different kinds of rotation or gentle stretch, or uh, uh, gentle um, just um, bring your muscles in the opposite position of how they are when you sit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> posture. <laughs> um, and uh, for those who uh, can and, and choose to, um, if you get a latex mattress, and now you have to get a latex mattress done the traditional way that doesn't off-gas, has no pressure points and it absolutely is like sleeping on a cloud. Mm-hmm. Now, I who don't have any of the problems we're talking about have chosen a latex mattress because I really treasure mm-hmm. my restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. And we can talk another time if you want, but I'm five and a half years past a near death experience. I took my mm-hmm. father from at the age of 83. My father had a massive stroke and he recovered completely and we had seven more years with him. So I have put into practice what we're talking about. It particularly applies to chronic fatigue, immune dysfunction syndrome, and fibromyalgia. And I am eager for consumers to go to their health professionals, whether it's in the NHS or in any place in the world, and ask for these kinds of caring and competent approaches. In the case of um, of myself, there's drrusselljaffe.com online. There's Eliza Act. Dot com online. There's healthstudiescollegium.org, where you have reprints of the studies or some of the studies that we've done and chapters that we've been invited to contribute to uh, books and to uh, periodicals. Um, so there's lots for folks to explore. And I, I guess one very other, one other, I think, important point is go slowly. Hmm. I didn't figure all this stuff out in 20 minutes. It's not likely that an epiphany will happen and everything will be different if it does welcome it but perseverance furthers taking the steps that make healthier choices of what you bring into your home what you bring into your life and what you release from your life sometimes the healthiest thing you can do for yourself and for those you really care about is to let go of a relationship that could be described as toxic Yes. The Buddhists call it afflictive. 
I, I prefer the word afflictive. It's clearly, it's, it's a clear word, but it's less judgmental. <laughs> and I like the Buddhist approach, which is fully engaged, non-attached, and in the service of the moment. Beautiful, and it's about forgiveness, isn't it? Because if you've got had toxic people, relationships, experiences in your life, it's being able to forgive them because we hold on to it in our own bodies, don't we? If we don't forgive, forgive, forgive yourself and forgive them. Yeah, um, in my personal case, uh, my mom lost my sister when she was very young, and it was an avoidable death. My mom had a year of depression and guilt or grief. And just as she was coming out of that, her mom had a stroke and died. And there were lots of unresolved issues between my mom and her mom. Another year, and my mom tripled her weight in that time and became an ambulatory schizophrenic, which means she could function, she could go out and shop, she could engage with people, but she made things up as she went along because she was in such psycho-emotional turmoil and grief that continued. You know, she lived in the past of that terrible loss, then that terrible loss. I can tell you as a child, what I knew was I didn't have a mom who had friends. (laughs) I didn't have a mom who could have continuity, even with me. But it made me a better doctor in hindsight, I believe, more empathetic, I think. And I have, I think, to a very large extent, because I've spent a fair amount of time personally in, in, uh, in my quiet time on the subject of looking back at how awful it was that not just the loss, but that no one came to help my mother. Yeah. Now, mental health today is not that much better than it was then, but I can tell you in the early 50s, because that's how old I am, it just was absent. And, and family? Not mine. I mean, I'm sure there are some families that would come together and be supportive. But in our family, we remember who fought with whom and what social events. That's just our family. I think most (laughs) families can relate to that, hey? (laughs) Oh, I think so. That's why I'm sharing it. it. It's not so much that I need to say it as I want folks to know that I'm going through what probably in some way they're going through. And as, as I think, as you can see, I feel and function well. I have a joyful gratitude every day when I get up. After you have a near-death experience, every day becomes the best day of your life. My dad, after he recovered from his stroke, every day, because after that I really did speak to him almost every day, every day was the best day. So I think we can cultivate gratitude. We can cultivate restored sleep. We can cultivate a diet that we can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden which means a transit time of 12 to 18 hours. If you have roast beets at night, you should see red in the commode in the morning. Mm. But I will tell you, even after all these years, when I see red in the commode in the morning, my first thought is never, oh, I had beets last night. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, it takes, like you're saying, that near-death experience for some people for it to be bad enough for them to want to do something about their health. And for me, certainly, you know, one of the, the interest that I've got in chronic fatigue syndrome is I had chronic fatigue syndrome and the way I got through it was through nutrition and mindset. And that's why I'm now a health oh. coach because I want to be able to help other people. Yeah. And quite often people only come to me when it's bad enough that they want something to change. They don't think about proactively looking after their health. And I've loved our discussion today because what the clear message that's coming through is we want to look after our bodies. We want to value them for as long as we possibly can. We want to be a 40-year-old in a 106-year-old's physical body, don't we? So we can have that longevity. And you've given some wonderful tips and insight and knowledge. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been really, truly inspirational. I guess just you know, I'm conscious of kind of your time and just to wrap up in, in summary. Thank you for the invitation, Lisa, for the opportunity to share this information. Yes, I uh, I do practice this uh, myself. Uh, my personal plan is to be dancing at 120, and I would like you and other friends to be dancing with me. And absolutely, I'll be there. I'd love All to right. join you. So, just just in summary, Dr. Jaffin, then, so we've talked about you know the importance of sleep and mindset and some top tips that people t- can do. 
Is there anything else uh, well, someone's other, struggling with any of these yeah, conditions no, that they should stuff. think about? Yeah, Lisa, the other very critical piece, and I just kind of glanced off it, what you consume, what you eat and drink, including what you think and do, because you're consuming in all of those modes, mm-hmm. but especially what you choose to bring in as nourishment. Because today there are many things that are constructed and processed and they look like food, but they're not. They're not nutritious, are they? When I said nature, nurture, and wholeness, what that means to me is having a kitchen full of products that spoil, but eat them before they do. That was something I learned from Beatrice from Hunter. Bring in whole foods and prepare them in a savory way. And by the way, you are sweet enough as you are, no added sugar. And I suggest for most folks who have this issue or are concerned because someone they know has it, is no edible oils. You'll get plenty of fat from seeds and nuts and whole foods. And once you separate the oil from the seed or nut source, air, oxygen, begins to damage it. So we cook with broth, we cook with water, we cook with the tagine, where you basically use the moisture in the food. to to cook the food. We have joyful times making, eating, and then even cleaning up from the meal. My preference, I'd rather cook and let you clean, but I'll trade off. (laughs) Because the, the, the heart of our home is the kitchen or the kitchen on the room table. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that as well. And that's where we come together as a family, isn't it? And prepare the food and enjoy it and have those conversations and those joyful moments and practice gratitude and yeah, the whole mind-body connection. It sums it up, really, doesn't it? All of the both. Now, for those who have biological family, that's fine. But you can have an intentional family called a Sangha in Buddhism, but you can have an intentional family. But yes, relationship and family, very important. Human is nice, but sometimes it's with other species or plants. I know people who thrive in their garden, mm-hmm. and they love humanity, but there are very few people that they actually like well. Absolutely wonderful conversation, and I think we'll, we'll kind of leave it there for today. And I just want to thank you once again for joining us. It's been truly insightful. So thank you very much. No, thanks for the invitation and for handling it uh, as graciously as you did. Thank you. So I'm your host, Lisa Victoria, for Alternative Health Tools. And if you like what you've heard today, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.